One of the practices we find important here at Christ City, we have eight practices that we try to embody. Um, and one of those is that we love to create beauty. And that means aesthetically, like this space is important to us, um, the visuals we use. And, and even when we do graphics, we, we like to try to be very intentional with those things. And I've mentioned to you how we're doing a 10-month, 40-week series through the book of Acts. So welcome to church for a while. Um, and with that, you know, we're trying to play off different things like it's going to be a five mini-series within the 10 weeks, and each little series has something very specific it's trying to get across. And we kind of want to approach it almost like a, um, a, a, a playwright, like something where we're going, like there's different acts to this in the book of Acts. So you can see there, like we're so witty and sharp, aren't we? So we're trying to do something here, and here we have Act 1, and, and with that, we decided to title it Origins. Um, and I think it's important because our culture is really interested in origin stories, right? Like how many of you have really gotten into the Marvel comic universe or, I mean, the Marvel comic universe or DC, like with the origin stories? And I think it really started probably, you know, 10 plus years, has it been 10 years since Christopher Nolan's Batman? Like, do, do anybody remember that, right? So you remember when that came out and you're like, what is going on here? Like, how could this be so thoughtful and like engaging and you're watching it and it gives like this, this backstory to, to Batman, to Bruce Wayne. Um, and it seems like now every time you see a new superhero movie come out, they have to always start with like the, the origin story of it. Because in that origin story, it, it gives you like where this person came from and what their life, what they're about, like what, they, what they're going after. Like, you don't want to start in the middle of the story. You want to see the beginning of the story. What's this thing motivating them and, and pushing them out? And, and I felt like that's what we need to do with the book of Acts. Like, this is the beginnings of the church, this place where people would come together in worship and talk about God, but not just uh, Yahweh from the Old Testament, but how, like, Jesus now is a part of this whole Trinity thing. And so... It's important that we can look at what's happened here in the origins of this first church, these happenings. Because when we do that, we, we find that we'll find right um, expectations and right anticipations. Like we'll, we'll kind of align the expectations and then we'll know what to anticipate. And you know this, like if you ever set your expectations wrongly with a person, and then you start anticipating it, like you get really let down. And I think a lot of times when we talk about the Holy Spirit, let me ask you this, how many of you grew up in some kind of charismatic Church of God Pentecostal church? All right, so a few of you. Um, how many of you have always been scared of people who grew up in those churches? That's right, a lot more of you. So uh, you guys probably won't be friends. But anyway, um, it's one of those things, like it's kind of scary. Now for me, I grew up in a I'm not joking, like, it was like people, like, scoot, 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 right? Like, it was going around church, running around, um, filled with the Spirit, falling out. We had a thing every year called camp meeting. Um, anybody ever been to a camp meeting? Boy, you're missing out. Camp meetings were like when you knew the Holy Spirit was coming, all right? So, like, get ready. And so, that was what I did. And every week, like, church was like, something's going to happen. Like, I used to, 
I remember one time I was telling somebody this. I remember I was so into people just like come to my church, just show up to my church and, and come get a feeling of the spirit. Um, one time I um, made a bet with my baseball team, like I was a pitcher. And the thing is, I was good at pitching, but they hated me because I told, like, I would win baseball games, but I told them they were going to hell. And so, like, in the middle of the games, I'd, I'd try to get people converted and lay hands on them in the middle of games. And so in the dugout, like, it just didn't work well. So I remember that, and I got them, like, almost the whole team to go to church with me. And I was the anticipation, the expectation, God's going to move, people are going to fall out in the spirit. And it didn't happen, right? Um, but, like, I always had that. And, and at some point in time... I kind of got tired of having those expectations because they weren't really met a lot. Something happened. It's like the juice was at the worship center, and that's where I went to church, the worship center, where I went to church. Like the juice was there, and when I left there, there was no juice. And I'm like, well, I guess this doesn't work. Like I don't know what to do with all this. And I think a lot of us have had this experience with the Holy Spirit where Okay, we, we're good with God, God the Father. We're good with Jesus, like he, he's the incarnation of the Father. But the Holy Spirit, what do we do with that? And what do you do when you call it the Holy Ghost? Like we kind of just go like, let me get some separation there, right? And maybe it's like sweet moments, like, oh, the Spirit's moved, and he's just this gentle breeze. And we read this passage, and there's nothing gentle about the Holy Spirit. Like it's some wild stuff. And so that's what I want us to talk about. Like, I want us to talk about a couple of things. One, I want us to talk about the story behind the story happening in this passage. And two, I want us to talk about, like, the chase, the tension, the thing happening when the Spirit shows up. All right? So let's do that. Let's just first check this out, that there is a story happening here behind the story. Now, the Bible, especially the New Testament, the New Testament is all about Easter eggs. And I, and I don't mean like resurrection. I mean like you ever see a piece of art and watch a movie and there's little Easter eggs like, oh, don't miss that, don't miss that, don't miss that. Like the New Testament is basically a few words and lots of footnotes with all these things pointing back to events in the Old Testament. So there isn't something new happening in Acts 2. There's something renewing happening in Acts 2. And I want us to catch that because I think if we catch it, it helps make more sense what's happening here in the passage. So we left it last week where it says they were all in one accord and it was homothumaden. Homothumaden. Anybody remember what homothumaden meant? Anybody? Yeah, in the back, remember that? It, it meant um, rushing together in unison. Rushing together in unison, that they were all in one accord rushing on tilt together for something in unison. So we pick back up here in verse 1, and we see that they are back together. Verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, before I jump in this passage, let me say something. There's power when people are together on something. Are you with me on that? Like, there's power when we are together on something. There's, there's a chance for something to happen when we, not in uniformity, not sameness, but like saying we're about this together. And let me get, let's give a plug for this. This coming up Saturday, we're doing the first of many, but it's going to be the first that we do of something we call Discover Partnership. Um, and here's what that is. It's when we talk about that if you want to partner and be in rushing unison with this congregation, like we kind of talk through the nuts and bolts of Christ City Church, our story, our origin story. We talk through like 
our doctrine, how we approach things, we talk through um, our vision and mission, and even these practices that we hold each other accountable to. So here's what I want to say. If you like what's happening at Christ City and you want to hear more about that, um, this Saturday, 8.30 to 11.30, we'll provide snacks for you and coffee and all those kind of things. And all you got to do is sign up so you can fill out a connect card and say, I want to come, drop it off. You can email us this week. We got a good number of people coming so far, but I want to make room for more. So if you're interested and want to know about Christ City, come to Discover Partnership. Okay, unplug. Now, back to verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So the first question is this, what is Pentecost? And let's try to break it down for us a little bit. So Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50. That's what it means. Like it's a Greek word that means 50. So then the question then is, so why the word 50? Well, there was something that was celebrated every year at this time, um, 50 days after Passover within the Jewish calendar. And it was called the Feast of Weeks. And the Feast of Weeks was a tradition where it would be the harvesting of all the wheat, which in an agrarian culture is a really big deal because the wheat is, makes the bread and kind of keeps the thing moving. So if you had a good harvest, you wanted to celebrate it. So they would take several days to celebrate this Feast of Weeks. But here's the thing. The original word in Hebrew for Feast of Weeks is a word, Shavuot. Everybody say Shavuot. See, Shavuot is this Hebrew word that they originally designated towards when they received the Ten Commandments. Shavuot was the celebration. Before it was a celebration of bringing in all the wheat, it was first a celebration that 50 days after they were led out of Egypt from captivity, from the imprisonment and slavery, they meet God at a mountain called Mount Sinai. And at this mountain, at Mount Sinai, they are given these Ten Commandments. And at this Mount Sinai, there is a marriage proposal. I want to show it to you here in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. You know where you love to read Exodus. We all do it. Exodus 19, verse 16 says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. Well, wait, Robin, I thought you said this was like a wedding ceremony. This sounds like Godzilla brides or something like that. Like, there's no, I don't think I want to be part of this wedding ceremony. Well, here's the thing. Um, there are these writings called Midrash. And Midrash were written by these rabbis where they would like contemplate and talk about what was really happening somewhere. And they would, they would turn a passage time and time again to get all the goodies you could out of it. And here's how one rabbi, uh, Rabbi Pirki de Rabbi Eliezer, said in Midrash chapter 41. 
He says, when Israel were about to receive the Torah at Mount Sinai, Moshe told the people to leave the camp and go to the mountain because God, the Shatan, was waiting to meet his Kala, the people, in order to accompany them into the Shupa, which is a marriage canopy. See, the belief and the view was is that this is where God proposed to the church. And the billow of smoke that covered the mountain was the Shupa set up. And God's saying, hey, I want to marry you. I like you. You don't really have a lot to offer, but I like you. Um, which is always the best way to start a marriage proposal. Like, you don't have a lot to offer me in life, but I like you. Let's do it, right? Works every time. No, it doesn't. So, like, God's like, um, let's do this. So I'm going to set up the shupa, and, and I'm going to be your groom, and I want you to be my bride. And here's how we know that we're in marriage together, that I'm going to set up these, these boundaries of how you love me and how I love you. Let's just say we'll call them Ten Commandments. And how about I just put them on some stones so you can kind of have them there to keep looking at? Like it was a marriage ceremony. It was a contract to say, here's what it's like for us now to, to be in relationship. So every Shavuot, every Feast of Weeks, every Pentecost was the wedding uh, marriage anniversary, right, for God's people and with him. I mean, you can only can imagine how exciting this time would be. But even all the imagery here is really fascinating, like the billows of smoke and the fire. And I think Luke, like it's not lost on Luke, who is a, who is a good practicing Jew. He knows these stories. This would have been such a big deal. And so on Pentecost, in an upper room, when God comes down, there's some like parallels we have. Let's look at a few hat tips, a few hat tips, a wink, wink, and a nod that Luke wants to see. Look here, it says in verse two, suddenly, like the blowing of a violent wind came down from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Okay, so we have a loud trumpet in, at Sinai, and here we have a, might, a sound of a mighty rushing wind. Like, okay, this is loud. There's something happening here. And then, of course, we have like fire on the mountain. And now we have fire that's come down from the mountain over the head of each person there. Like Sinai has gone from something that you, it's a spectacle, it's something you see, to now it's come to engage you. The, the place where you would like tremble in fear now is said, the fire is coming down the mountain and it's going to rest on you individually. These people who were gathered together in, in like a, a rushing of unison together, like something happens here and it's seismic and they are not missing it because they realize something like God is in the room and he's renewing vows He's renewing vows, which is a beautiful ceremony that a lot of couples have, right? Like you have a hard go at it, life's been long, and you're like, you know what? How about we renew these vows? How about we remind ourselves what this thing's all about? God here is renewing vows with his people. And he's, he's trying to tell them like, I'm with you. I'm accessible. No longer is there a mountain to go to. I'm going to bring the fire from the mountain, and I'm going to bring it to you. 
And the prophets would try their best to speculate. They would get these words, these visions, these ideas. And we have one from Jeremiah that makes more sense now. Because in Jeremiah 31, it says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. You know, one of the hard things in marriage a lot of times is like learning the intuitive rhythms and dance of being with your partner. It's very difficult because people are difficult, right? And marriage is hard. If your marriage isn't hard, then God bless you. You come preach. So, but like, like it takes time, doesn't it? It takes time to get good at marriage because you're learning the other person and you're learning their, their moves and their rhythms. And it goes from something like osmosis, you're trying to force it into your head, like, oh yeah, like they don't like cream in their coffee or, oh yeah, they do like cream in their coffee or whatever it may be. And you start like figuring it out. But here's what happens at some point in time, if you stick it out in the marriage long enough, you just kind of intuitively learn the other person. You start like knowing what to expect and what to anticipate. There are those words again. You know how to like move into a rhythm in unison with them. And here's what Jeremiah was telling us. There's going to come a day when this whole thing with God will be a lot more intuitive. Where it's going to come out of you. Where you won't have to read the list every day. Oh, what does it mean to be married to this person? But it's going to be in your heart and in your mind. There won't be these tablets. Now your heart, it'll be written on there. And it's saying it's going to be a lot more accessible because before people had to come to a mountain, to a place, to a city, to a land to receive this marriage proposal. But now it's going to move in the hearts of people all over the world. It's beautiful. And here's what we see happening here. The spirit comes down and they now are realizing this is what Jeremiah talked about. It says in verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Another little small hat tip would be the last time we had a problem with languages and people trying to do something in unity in languages, it was with one language, the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. It's a story of how people in power will try to bring uniformity um, and oppression to show how they are big enough to get to God. Don't sound too far off from that today when we look around, right? You can see it. It's kind of the wallpaper in the room, even in our country. Like, God isn't for that. God's always been about diversity. So what does he do? Like, we see, like, there's some kind of, like, dividing of languages, and God's wanting to show something. You can actually have unity in diversity. You don't have to have uniformity to have, like, to get to God. You don't have to have, like, homogeneity to get to God. You can actually have diversity because God's glory will come out in every ethnicity and every people. God will be seen and God will be known. The question is, are you listening? Or are you missing out? And we see here in Acts, God's like, yeah, I'm gonna reverse this whole Babel thing. You didn't need one language. You didn't need one way, one approach, one doctrine, one, uh, one thing to make you all come together. You just need to be, make room for the Spirit to come in 
And in that, what happens is like they're all speaking the glories of God. And these people all from these countries are hearing their language spoken and they're like, what is happening? These simple Galileans who are like, they're like from a lower middle class area and they're speaking in our language. Somehow they've picked up on like how they could do that. And if you were a, a good Jewish person living in modern day Palestine, Israel, you would know Aramaic, a little bit of old Hebrew and some Greek and that's it. So we have something happening that's big and huge. And then it says in verse six to seven, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Notice here it's saying like they came together in bewilderment. They were amazed. Look at verse 12. It says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what? does this mean? I think it's safe to say that the people in the upper room and the people hearing them from outside passing by were a bit caught off guard. Fair? They were a bit surprised. Um, they were like taken back. The kind of words that people outside the church don't use with the church today. going to get real just for a second. Let me step on a soapbox and I'll get off of it, okay? Just give me a minute. Um, people don't want this. They just don't want it. And it's not because they're like um, so sinful. And it's not because like they're just so broken. It's because we keep trying to give the world answers to questions they're not asking. We keep trying to get, yeah, 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 but like, here's, your, here's the soteriological grid and path you understand. They're like, what are you talking about? There's a wall being built, right? Let's talk about that. Yeah, 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 but here's how the future will unpack one day and, you know, like how all the people are going to go to heaven or go to hell. They're like, I'm just, I'm just interested like in like you seeing your own privilege, bro, and what you're doing about that in a city that deals so much with poverty. Like we keep trying to force feed, it's like trying to force feed your baby veggies or something, and they're going like, I'm not doing this. We keep trying to give them answers to questions they're not asking. Evangelicalism is dying. It is. And, and I'm not even saying it's supposed to, or we got to fight to keep it alive. I'm just telling you, people don't want it. And you keep, and I keep, and we keep, trying to give them all these answers to things they're not wanting. Here's what they want. They want to know, like, are you a human with them? I had somebody recently say that, like, hey, I just feel like this, I don't know if the church is just getting too much into the feelings or whatever else, and I'm like, gosh, I hope we are. I sure hope we are. I, I hope that we're not a traumatic church that makes your PTSD shoot off every time. I hope we're a church that is kind of like therapeutic, like you kind of go like, maybe I could experience something here real. I hope so. And I think that what we talk about and then how we live ends up turning a lot of people off. I remember this old band, uh, DC Talk. Somebody, help me. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Somebody. <laughs> um, they had a song called What If I Stumble? All right. 
What if I stumble? What if I fall? And the idea is like, what if I don't um, live a holy way? Um, and so that in turn, people go, you see, they were so unholy, I didn't want it. And they got a quote from Brendan Manning. I'm going to put it on the screen here. Which, by the way, this is not what he meant with their song. So they got the song wrong. We're going to try to make it right, all right? So here's the line. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. You talk about love, you talk about grace, you talk about acceptance, you talk about Jesus, you talk about how he goes to the least of these, and we talk the good game, but we don't step into those realities. And we wonder why people don't want what we have. And it takes every one of us looking in the mirror and asking the question, am I really willing to offer what Jesus offered? I mean really willing to offer it. Am I really willing to engage the things that he wanted to engage? Or do I like kind of talking about it and staying maybe in an echo chamber with people who think just like me and never really having myself challenged or expanded? And I think that that's what we have to be willing to get away from if we want to be just a little bit less hypocritical. And that means who we support politically. That means who we stand beside socially. All those kind of things. You know, evangelicalism simply means, it's four things. It means that you have a high view of Scripture, you, that you believe there's important things happening in the Bible. It means that you believe in cruciformity, that you want to follow the path of Jesus. It means something about, like, conversion, that Romans 10, 9, that if you could confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Like, yeah, there's some kind of conversion. And there's activism. That's the fourth part of it. You're active with your faith, and you're not using your faith to shame people who aren't like you in your faith, but you're actually trying to show that there can be a different experience. It's almost bewildering. It takes people by surprise. If your faith and my faith doesn't take people by surprise, see, people expect evangelicals to look a certain way and be a certain way. That's very disappointing. Racist, homophobic, like, you name it. And the question is this, like, what if we took people by surprise? Like, what if we engage things people aren't willing to engage and talk about things? And, like, didn't have to always lead with going, like, well, you're a sinner and you're a sinner and you're a sinner. You're using a word you don't even know what it means. We'll talk about it next week. You don't even know what it means yet. Like, what does it mean for us to not engage people with all of our answers to questions that we think they're asking, but going, what do you need? All right, done with the soapbox. So that's the story behind the story. So here's then the last question. Like, what's the tension? What's the chase? Because every good story has a good chase. Like every, every hero, every person in the story is after something. And you may not see it here, but I think it starts even in chapter 1. You know, in chapter one, we have Jesus in verse four saying, I want you to all gather together in unity and I'm gonna give you a gift, a gift. And they're like, oh, great, what a great gift this will be, I'm sure. And then he says in verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, um, 
I always looked at this as like, okay, I'm just gonna receive and there's gonna be power that shoots through my body and comes out, you know, with beams of light through my eyes, you know, some kind of sci-fi film. That's what we believed at my little church in Mississippi, all right? So like power is gonna come through you. Um, and I'd get caught up in that word, but here's the thing I didn't get caught up with enough. It will come on you. You know when the Greek, the word come on you means attack? It's going to attack you. Now who wants the Holy Ghost? Nobody, <laughs> right? Like, hey, you want the Holy Ghost? Well, it's gonna attack you in a minute. Like, come on feels like, oh, that's kind of invitational, like you're not crowding my personal space. No, the Holy Spirit will attack you. That's what it's saying here. You can understand why they didn't want to put that in English, because <laughs> that means a lot more people don't want it. But here's the thing. Um, okay, there were this early, let's, let's put the slide back up. Anybody notice something with this graphic on Acts? Uh, there's like these symbols here on either side of, anybody know what that is? A goose, right? And here we go. Now we get to go to the title of the sermon, The Goose is Loose. Okay, you ready? All right. So in the early stages of medieval period, there were a group of Christians. They were uh, Celtic uh, Christians in northern Britain, okay, in the UK today, what would be called Scotland. There was this group, these Celts, and these Celt Christians, um, they were just doing church all kind of backwards and weird ways, right? But they were having fun. And they realized something, that whenever the Holy Spirit showed up, it was surprising, it was wild, and it was like being attacked by a goose. So they started calling the Holy Spirit goose. Matter of fact, here, here's what's interesting. Um, I, think I, I think I put it up there. Yeah, what's the, it says, but you will see power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And they called it the uh, Gedglas, the wild goose. Anybody have a goose story? I hate geese. I hate them. When I found out about this, I was so disappointed in people, right? In church, in Christians, all those things. I love a nice little dove that just kind of flutters down, you know what I mean? And rests upon my shoulder and whispers things like Jiminy Cricket, and then we kind of get going with life. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I was attacked by a goose. I remember when I was living in Tupelo, Mississippi, I would take a run around this certain lake, and there were geese, and they would chase me. And I would say horrible things to them out loud, and they would keep chasing me. Um, I spent time yesterday watching videos of people being attacked by geese. So much fun. So much fun. Like, geese, anybody ever, ever been attacked by, 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 by geese? Right, here's what you know. These suckers are mean. Like, they get you. I watched people, there's one person, these kids, there was a goose on top of a kid's head just biting his head. Just, and all of his friends going, ha, 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 And I'm like, you guys deserve to go to hell, right? Like, that's just the truth. Forget us answering any of your questions. Geese are wild, man. They come at you. They attack you. You ever try to chase a goose? Yeah, you can't do it. Not gonna happen. So here's the thing, catch this, catch this. They believed that the Holy Spirit was so wild, so surprising, so bewildering, the only way to compare it is when you're either chasing the goose or the goose is chasing you. And this is how they talk about the Trinity. And this is how they talk about God. That's not how we talk about the Holy Spirit. 
We talk about some kind of controlled experience. We talk about something that like doesn't leave us bewildered because I have the right expectations and anticipate nothing. How many of us have had these jacked up expectations and in turn zero anticipation for the spirit to come and move and maybe bewilder you and so much so you leave from here and people are going, what just happened to you? I got attacked by a goose, bro. At church, yeah. I think we don't expect enough because we try to control too much. And I think we don't anticipate because we become cynical. But what if the goose was loose? And, and what if the spirit could move? Not to conjure it. Like I, I, we tried to conjure it at church growing up every Sunday. Mom, you fall out in the spirit, you fall out in the spirit. The whole trick where you put your foot behind their feet and then knock them down, right? Sister so-and-so covering up the legs of ladies, and the spirit's moved. Nothing wild about that. But here's what I wonder for us. What if we started creating space for the spirit to move? What if we started letting ourselves have some different expectations and in turn different anticipation? After the service today, we're actually going to have a time of that. Yeah, a time of blessing where we're actually going to ask you to leave quietly and then where the, some of the, the band's going to stay up here and they're going to play softly. We're going to have like elders, women's council, others up here and you'll be able to come forward, put your hands out and just say, I want to receive a blessing of the Holy Spirit. I want to be refreshed again and, and surprised by the Spirit once more. And you don't have to stay for it. You can be scared to be like, nope, not doing it. It's going to like really disappoint me. That's okay. We'll do it again and again and again because we believe that somehow, some way, we're meant to interact with this reality. So as the band comes forward, I want to pray. I want to pray that our hearts will be set at a good place here. And as they're coming forward, I'm, I'm going to read in the back of your bulletins there this quote that I loved. It said, a life following in the tailwind of the wild goose, that's the kind of life that calls to our innermost being and awakens the lethargic longings within. The problem is we know few, if any, Christians who've discovered the flight path. I wish I could tell you that there were seven simple steps to achieving that life, but the truth is that isn't so. Learning to fly with the Holy Spirit is learning a different kind of life. It's learning faith and trust and how to let go. If you want that, and you want something unscripted, and you're willing to step into that, then this may be a day for you to know the Spirit. I'm tired of mitigating the power of the Spirit in my life. I'm tired of capsizing the Spirit at work in my life. I'm tired of the cynicism. I'm tired of putting the seatbelt on, always thinking we've got to play it safe. And I'm just wondering, what if we all got tired of it together? Homo thumaden, rushing along in unison, saying we just want to experience something real. I bet some of our cynicism would drop. I bet some of our expectations would go up. And I bet we'd walk out of here from time to time throughout our week where people were going, what is going on with you? And you finally get to give them an answer to a question they're asking. Let's pray. So, Father, we pray now that you would come and meet us through your spirit. We'll make ourselves open. We're going to take communion. 
We're going to receive prayer afterwards. And then after the service, we're going to just stay around and see if you want to be with us and bless us. So please come. And we thank you here at the table that we can receive grace and be reminded of the good news of your son. In Jesus' name, amen.